For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So this morning, I want to attempt what is probably a vicar mistake. Uh, I want to touch on each of the three readings appointed for this 18th Sunday after Pentecost. Now, in my defense, when I talked to pastors Wolf Mueller and LeBlanc about this plan, they didn't say, don't do it. Um, but I did kind of see that look in their eyes of, okay, good luck with that. So, any one of these three lessons would be a great text to preach on. But the reason that I want to do this this morning is that there's this compelling theme running throughout these readings. And that is this theme of suffering in faith. And more specifically, how our suffering in faith accomplishes God's will. And so what I want to do is I want to work chronologically starting with the Old Testament and back to the epistle. So about 20 years ago, my family and I, we were living very comfortably in a house that we had built on a couple of acres that my parents had given to us. Um, I was working, I'd gone on active duty in the military about a year before. I was working in Fort Worth and it was, it was kind of like a temporary thing. It's like an internship and I knew that I might not be there you know, any length of time, that within the next year or two, I could get moved. So sure enough, one day, I got this official notification by email, you're being reassigned to a unit in Marshall, Texas. So if you don't know where Marshall, Texas is, uh, let's just say it's basically western Louisiana. And so I'll, I'll admit, I wasn't ready for this. You know, who wants to pick up and move from somewhere close to your family where you're content and you're surrounded by family and friends and move somewhere that might even be considered a different culture? So I think before I even told my wife Carrie what was going to happen, I had emailed this mentor friend of mine and basically asked the question, okay, how do I get out of this? <laughs> and he responded back, it's God's will. I didn't like that answer, so I said back to him, I'm not so sure it's as much God's will as it is Colonel Swope's will. <laughs> so Colonel Swope was the officer who was responsible for assigning people. Well, he responded back pretty quickly with, Whither thou goest. That was it. And I thought, okay, I know that's from the Bible, but I'm not sure exactly where. And this was before the days of Google, so I think I had to just look it up on my own. And I finally figured out, sure enough, it's the King James Version translation of part of today's uh, reading from Ruth, where she says, where you go, I will go. So what this mentor was trying to tell me in not so many words was, have faith, God is doing something for a reason. He's doing this for a reason. Again, these are pretty hard words to hear when you don't want to hear them and when you're not ready to hear them and you're questioning why this is happening. Why is God putting this on me right now? Doesn't he know that I'm content? And so you likely have asked these same kinds of questions. So this is when we want to look to things like the examples of faith that we see in today's lessons so that we can be comforted with the assurance of God's purpose when we're going through trials, even suffering. So we want to start in the land of Moab, east of Judah, where this man named Elimelech, he's immigrated with his wife, Naomi, and their two sons because they're being driven out of Judah by this famine. 
Now, we might recall that the Moabites were historical enemies of the Israelites, so it's not a small thing that this family has picked up and moved to try to go scratch out a living in a hostile land. Moreover, Elimelech dies and leaves Naomi as a widow with these two sons. And then, to make matters even worse, they marry Moabite women, women named Orpah and Ruth. And they are pagans, and while this isn't expressly forbidden to marry Moabite women, it was certainly frowned upon. So Naomi is already enduring the shame of being an alien without a husband, and she has these two sons who've married pagans, and then she's dealt yet another blow as the two sons die. So, ten years later, Naomi finds herself a stranger in a strange land in what is arguably a worse position than if she had just stayed in Judah. Maybe she would have just died there, but that would have been better. But now there's this faint glimmer of hope for Naomi as she hears that this famine in Judah has passed. So she can at least return home, even if it's in shame and humiliation for what has happened to her. She still has faith in this God of Israel, despite this suffering that she has endured so far. And so her example of faith has undoubtedly made an impression on the daughters-in-law as they want to accompany her back to Bethlehem. But Naomi insists, no, no, I don't want you to go with me. You need to stay here because there's probably nothing for you in Bethlehem. Now, Naomi can't give them other sons to marry. And what are the odds that an Israelite man is going to want to marry these two widows who are from Moab? But it's here that we see this divergence of faith between the two daughters-in-law. Naomi's words, even though she says them in love, now cause Orpah to draw away from her, and she will go back to her people and to her gods. Orpah's desire for assurance and comfort and perhaps even in her faith of her own ability to make her way now means that she's going to turn her back on the God of Israel. She no longer clings to what faith she had been given. But Ruth, on the other hand, in her confession of faith with words that we often hear and recall and repeat, tells Naomi, For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Now, we shouldn't have any doubt that Ruth loves Naomi and stays with her partly because of this new family tie she has. But we don't want to lose sight of that last phrase, your God, my God, because it is Ruth's confession of faith. And she steadfastly holds to this faith that she's been given and to Naomi's example, and she returns with Naomi to Bethlehem. And so now, Ruth's future in the lineage of Christ is set in motion. Speaking of Bethlehem, let's talk about the man from Bethlehem, Jesus, in our Luke text. And he encounters this group of lepers on his journey to Jerusalem. I'm not really sure that we quite get the severity of leprosy. I mean, we know what it is, but in the Old Testament world, it was not only a physical affliction, it was a spiritual affliction as well. The book of Leviticus contains two complete chapters dealing with leprosy, the rules for leprosy, for being clean, and when you could return to worship. So these lepers weren't only physically afflicted, they were spiritually unclean as well. So they cry out to Jesus, Master, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So like 
others that we hear about who have heard about Jesus' words, faith has taken hold, and they expect that he can perform this miracle for them. They already have faith. But in this cry, have mercy, notice they don't say, heal us or cleanse us. They say, have mercy. They are begging for salvation. And in hearing their plea, Jesus tells them to go to the temple so that they may be seen by the priest, for this is in accordance with the law regarding leprosy, and they had to have their healing validated. But this isn't the only reason Jesus told them to go. He thinks that they're going to go and show that they now have faith in Christ, and that the law is now put away, that the law for salvation is now cast aside. Yet, as it, of course, as we hear, yet on their way, only one of the lepers returns to praise Jesus. And oh, by the way, he was a Samaritan and is hated by most Jews. So he himself was once joined with these nine others, but he has now separated himself by virtue of his faith and his thanksgiving. These other nine were joined to him, and they have now separated themselves by unbelief because they have forgotten the source of their healing. So Jesus turns to his disciples, and he kind of sort of rhetorically asks, where are the other nine? Of course, he knew they weren't going to turn back. So then he praises Samaritan's faith as the cause for him being made well. That is, that he's now saved. This Samaritan, this outsider, has endured suffering for the hope of Christ's salvation and mercy. And now that he's gotten it, he grabs onto it and doesn't let go of his faith. So this Samaritan, who was once an unlikely disciple, now follows Christ in faith. Now to Paul, another unlikely disciple... He was no stranger to suffering. He had been in prison multiple times. He'd been threatened with flogging. He'd been threatened with stoning. He'd been shipwrecked on his way to Rome. And now he was in jail there again and had little hope for deliverance. And his words to Timothy in today's epistle lesson are a foretaste of what Timothy could expect. So already in chapter 1, Paul has encouraged Timothy. And he says, He's encouraged him to share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And Paul, is not, he's not sugarcoating anything here. You're going to suffer. So now in chapter 2, he says again, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So the one who enlists as a soldier ought to do so with some kind of focused mindset, knowing that he ought to be ready to fight and, if required, die for the sake of others, and at the command of the one he serves. And Paul goes on to use a couple of other vocations as examples. The athlete cannot win the competition if he doesn't dedicate himself to winning by the rules. The industrious farmer deserves the first fruits of his hard work. So Timothy, Paul says, must have a singular focus in his calling as a disciple and an apostle. And so to encourage Timothy in this task, Paul commends him to Christ. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Timothy is to proclaim the word with the certainty that it will accomplish the work of the gospel. Paul says to him, the word of God is not bound. It does not return empty. And when suffering comes as it will, Timothy must not despair and think that his work will be in vain. Paul himself, no doubt, experienced this, these moments of uncertainty and faltering faith. So he reminds Timothy that Christ remains faithful even when our faith dims 
if we only cling to the promise of salvation in Him alone. So in each of these lessons, God is using faith, especially suffering in faith, to accomplish His will. Now we have the joy of looking at these texts today and seeing that even though it may not be obvious at first, it's there. Where you go, I will go. Your God, my God. These are the words that Ruth spoke to Naomi as her confession of faith in the God of Israel. God used Naomi's example of love and her enduring faith through all these hardships she experienced to bring Ruth to faith with a willingness to trust in God to the point of leaving everything behind and going to an unfamiliar land. And how could Ruth have known that in enduring the shame of being a Moabite woman in the land of Judah, she would one day be redeemed in marriage and be a forerunner or have a son as the forerunner of Christ. Rise, go your way, your faith has made you well. These are the words that Jesus spoke to the Samaritan leper whose faith had healed him. Indeed, it had saved him. So Jesus used this outsider, an anathema to the Jews, to show how true abiding faith is one of thankfulness and how the kingdom of God is now for all people. This was actually for the benefit of the disciples as much as anyone. And they were seeing before their eyes this fulfillment of Luke chapter 8. The Samaritan man was the example of the seed and the good soil. He had heard the word, he held fast to it, and he bore fruit. The, ten Jewish, the nine Jewish lepers were the seeds in the rock. They believed for a while but fell away when they were tested. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. The words that St. Paul wrote to Timothy to temper him for the hardships that were no doubt to come. The life of an apostle would not be a cakewalk, and Paul wrote this. He didn't write it as a warning, but as an encouragement. The strength to withstand suffering for the gospel would come only through the certainty of grace in Christ Jesus, and that God is going to use Timothy in his suffering to spread his word. So kind of going back to the story I told at the beginning about our move, I think it's pretty ridiculous now that I thought I was somehow being made to suffer. It was only a little uncomfortable. It turned out good. Right, Carrie? I'm looking for Carrie to nod. <laughs> uh, what my friend was trying to get at is that something was being done for God's purposes, and it was all his will. Moreover, his response to me when he said, Whither thou goest, it made me think of this example of Ruth today, her loyalty to her family, to faith, and the trust that she placed in the Lord. So we won't always, if we ever do, understand why things happen to us the way they do, especially our suffering and what God is seeking to accomplish by it. So we're going to too often focus inward blow our own discomfort and trials out of proportion, and then we fail to look to the left and right to our neighbor where we might see true suffering. We'll be afraid. Our faith will be tested. We will falter. We will forget to be thankful for the blessings we have. But as Paul says, God is faithful even when we are not. He promises never to leave or forsake us. Luther wrote once, without trials, a person can know neither scripture nor faith, nor can he fear and love God. If he has never suffered, he cannot understand what hope is. So suffering directs our thoughts away from ourselves, and they point instead to the cross. The cross where Jesus Christ suffered and died 
to fulfill the will of the Father. So we know that we have a God who did suffer and does suffer with us and does so to draw us closer to Him. So in the end, the will of God that is accomplished by our suffering is that we put our hope and our trust solely in Him as our Savior. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Amen. Now the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.